My guest today is a total badass. Let's just get that out of the way right from the start. Her story will absolutely blow you away. If you've ever thought your past or your history is keeping you from creating the life you truly desire, then you need to pull up a chair and listen in real close on this one today. Rebecca Contreras was born into abject poverty. Her mother literally abandoned her and her brothers, and Rebecca grew up repeating all the same patterns. She became an unwed teenage mom. She was a drug addict, and she fell victim to abuse. But that's not where Rebecca's story ends. That was just her beginning. Or if you follow my story arc formula, you know that this was actually her before. Rebecca's life began to transform when a welfare-to-work program put her into the room with some pretty powerful women in politics, which later led Rebecca straight to the White House to serve under the President of the United States of America. And today, Rebecca has built a very successful multi-million dollar consulting agency. This all from a girl from El Paso, Texas that didn't have two pennies to rub together and absolutely nobody in her life telling her that she could do these things when she was young. I'm so honored to know Rebecca and to witness her leadership style because other people came alongside her and mentored her. She is now turning her own hands around to help other women do the same. In fact, she was a huge part of our storytelling symposium for light beamers this past year in San Antonio. And I just finished reading her new book called lost girl. I, I could not put it down. It is so good. Rebecca's story is just really jaw-dropping, and you are going to see when you tune in to this episode of the Inside Story Podcast with Rebecca Contreras. Hi, I'm April Adams Pertwee. I'm your host of the Inside Story Podcast. I've been telling people stories my entire adult life as a broadcast journalist, video producer, and digital storyteller. These days, you can find me at Light Beamers, where I'm building a community of women who are ready to step into their brave by sharing their story with the world. On the Inside Story podcast, I'm bringing you some of the best stories I'm discovering from both the women inside of my community, as well as from around the streets of the internet. Plus, I'm digging deep to share some of my own stories with you along the way. My hope is that these stories will help encourage you to examine your own story so that you can share it with other people. I have a motto at Light Beamers. When we share our stories, we shine a light. So with that in mind, let's get down to business today and share the light found in this episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to the Inside Story Podcast. Welcome to the show today. I'm so happy you are here. I'm your host, April Adams Pertwee. And I have with me today uh, a beautiful guest that I'm so excited to interview. She has written a book called Lost Girl, which is all about her journey from the hood to the White House to millionaire entrepreneur. Isn't that a great subtitle. This is Rebecca Contreras joining me today from Austin, Texas. I met Rebecca recently 
when um, our community ambassador, Evelina Solis, uh, introduced me to Be Rebecca. Y'all have known each other a long time. And Rebecca actually came in recently as a supporter of our storytelling symposium. So it's just been such a great pleasure to get to know you, Rebecca, a little bit. And I'm so excited about our conversation today because I've started reading your book, Lost Girl, and I am just salivating to jump into this conversation and to dig into your story more today. So thank you for joining us on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much, April. Love, love, love what you do. And I'm so excited we're connected. And it's such a small world that we both know Evelina. And I know that this conversation is going to be very insightful. And I'm happy to share my story with your listeners and excited about it. Yeah, well, that's, you know, everything on the inside story is about storytelling and just sort of peeling back the layers a little bit about what it takes for people like you who've gone off to write a book and share your story very openly and vulnerably with anyone who picks up your book, what that process has been like. And so um, I want to dive into that. But first, I want to kind of backtrack and give everyone a little bit more of a broader sense of just who you are and what your work is in the world. I know you run a very like millionaire entrepreneur, right? Like what is the millionaire entrepreneur portion of you? Give us a little overview of that. And then we're going to go backwards and get into your story a little bit more. Yeah. So I'm actually a Texas gal. I'm from, um, I was born in El Paso and I'm from Austin and, and still here in the Austin area. And uh, I'm actually um, the uh, owner of a company called Avant Garde LLC. We have about uh, 110, soon to be 130 people across eight different states, including the state of Texas um, and other states in the country where we're really um, providing a broad-based suite of services around consulting in areas like HR, organizational change strategy. So we're, I tell people we're in the people business. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of people issues in the world. So we're going to be in business a really long time. And it's been really exciting. I founded this company um, with my partner. Uh, I'm the majority owner uh, back in 2011. And we've just had tremendous growth. Uh, in addition to that, I, um, I uh, have a, a nonprofit with my husband, David, and we do a lot of community outreach. I'm a really firm believer in not only being a business entrepreneur, but also not losing sight of the social entrepreneur aspect of what we do and giving back to the community. And, um, and then the third leg of what I do is Lost Girl and uh, my book launch, which happened last October. So we're coming up on our one year anniversary, and I just love to share um, all the th different things that I've learned with with listeners, and particularly women entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs that are looking to get started. Oh. Uh, the other thing I'd like to say is most importantly, I am a mom of three amazing kids, uh, all adults and uh, some grandkids and uh, uh, been married for 32 years and really have embraced that what I call high capacity call as a woman to kind of be all things. And um, mm -hmm. sometimes it's a challenge juggling all, and I'm sure you can relate as a mom and entrepreneur as well, but um, I'm really proud of our family and um, our adult children and all that they've accomplished. And of course, being grandma to two amazing little grandbabies. Well, once people dig into your book and we're going to talk a little bit about the story that's in the book today, I think that that hearing what all you've accomplished, right? The super successful businesswoman, you know, a growing company, a very thriving company that's going to be thriving for quite some time. Like, as you said, like those pe people services and training and development, human resources are going to be needed for a long time. Um, this powerhouse woman and also really dedicated family woman who's, you know, 
mom first, right? Mom and wife first, and then everything else second. Um, I think when we start to dig into your story and they hear where that, where you came from and how you started out your life Mm -hmm. and what your existence looked like back when you were growing up. And even when you were a young adult yourself, repeated patterns of trauma and generational um, desperation, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. I think that makes the fact that where you are today, so much more extraordinary. And I hope that our conversation today and sharing your story will be a light to anyone else who may see a piece of their story in yours, whether it's the business side of your story, the personal side of your story, the trauma side of your story, the the really extraordinary sides, because we have this little thing in here called the White House. We've got to get to that too. <laughs> that you actually made your way to the White House and served under George W. Bush, President George W. Bush. And so like, yeah, how does that even happen, right? So I want to start back at um, what you read right away when you open up Lost Girl, this book, like this chapter, the first chapter digs you straight into this really crazy and dysfunctional family that you were raised in, um, also surrounded around a lot of poverty and drug abuse. Give us a little taste of uh, of what that is. You, you go into deep detail into the book of what this is like, and it, it almost reads like almost unbelievable at times. Sitting where you are today, how do you describe that existence to others um, talking about your childhood? You know, I always tell people everybody's been through trauma and everybody has dysfunction in their family. I think, you know, more than half of America, I was at an event the other day, said, how many here grew up in dysfunction or have a jacked up family? Half of the room raised their hand. So we all did. But um, so I'm a border town gal. I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and I'm one of four children. My mother was a single mom. None of us knew our fathers. And um, we had every race in our family. We had my sister's African-American, my my older brother's Mexican, and my twin brother and I are white. So we used to tell mom, we just need the Asian to complete the circle of diversity. But um, we struggled a lot with uh, mother was a very sick person, April. And unfortunately, she was abused as a child as well. And she grew up in dysfunction and dysfunction breeds dysfunction if you don't deal with it. And she uh, was a drug addict, a heroin addict. And at the age of five, uh, she told us she was going to the grocery store and never came back. And so we were abandoned by her. And if it weren't for my precious grandmother who rescued us, we would be all in the foster system, uh, have been put in the system. But so we were raised by my grandmother. And and for a a lot of years, my mother um, struggled with that addiction. She also dealt with a lot of mental illness. Uh, past abuse in her life and I chapter one is called born in failure April and it truly depicts my my coming into failure and you know as a child you're wondering what did I do to deserve this right Um, I go through in intimate details um, what I call the raw truth about how I grew up not because I'm trying to shame my family or shame my mother um it's because I think it's important for us to learn that, you know, where you've been is not necessarily where you need to go or where you're going and deal with that trauma of your past. But after um, years and years of abuse and neglect and extreme poverty, okay, there's uh-huh. a story in the book where I talk about having to pull roaches out of my cereal uh-huh. to eat, um, just extreme filth and poverty. And growing up in that environment is uh, spiritual poverty, physical poverty, emotional poverty, you know, 
poverty in every sense of the word. It really does a number on your head. And mom did eventually come back. And again, the full story is dedicated to the first three chapters of the book. Um, but she was still very sick and still hadn't dealt with any of the trauma in her past. And so as a teenager, when I, I, I reunited back with her, um, I started doing drugs myself at age 13 and really was mad at the world, was mad at my mother, was mad at every abuser. Um, and, you know, kind of went on a crash course to self-destruct. And unfortunately, it is the story of so many of our inner city kids that grow up without that, that foundation and without that structure, but without the support. And um, I, I talk in detail about the dysfunction um, and how it mentally affected me, emotionally affected me. And uh, at age 17, after on a, being on a crash course, um, I ended up dropping out of school and got pregnant and just talk about taking it to another level of mess. And, you know, by then my mother uh, had stopped the drugs and she tried really hard and would tell me, you know, why are you doing this to yourself? Like you're, I feel like I'm losing you. And I remember her praying for me saying, I feel like you're slipping out of my hands. And I, she couldn't do anything about it. You know, the mess had been made and I was making it worse. And for your readers, um, for your listeners, definitely you have to, you know, read the book to get the full story. But I had sort of um, an, an epiphany of spiritual encounter, a God moment, call it whatever you call it, at age 19, April. Um, my daughter was about a year old and my mother had raised her. My mother took her away from me because I was so dysfunctional and I am thankful. I always tell mom, you know, mom, you redeemed yourself in that one action from all the trauma you put me through when you took my daughter and saved her. Wow. Um, and that girl is 34 today and married and has given me two amazing grandkids. She was a miracle, April. And I, I chose life with her because my mother made me choose life with her, not because I wanted to. And I look at her today and really I'm so thankful that uh, she was a little angel that was sent into my life to help me get on track. And so she was about 13 months old when I got my uh, my stuff together and, you know, had just an encounter, a spiritual encounter and decided, you know, I need to like do something with my life. It hit rock bottom. You know, April, so many times we get to the place where we have to hit rock bottom before we have that aha moment. I had my rock bottom at age 19 and decided to move back in with my mom and get rehab and start start my path forward. And uh, just the the at that point, you know, I always tell people I didn't even have two pennies to rub together. I was on welfare myself. I was addicted to drugs. I had lost my daughter. And, you know, it was a hard climb out of that mess. But miraculously and in, in a way of so many people coming around me by mentoring me, I, I ended up going back to school and getting my GD and I landed a job for a woman in a welfare to work program by the name of Ann Richards, who is an iconic governor here in Texas. And Ann was my first job out of welfare. And uh, believe it or not, I was her receptionist. Uh, and April, that's the first and the last job interview I ever went on. Um, it was amazing. really amazing what happened since then, but it's a lot to tell in one story. Uh, but I can tell you along the journey, I met my husband. We married when I was 21. He adopted my daughter and I tell the story in there of how I dealt with the baby daddy issue. There was a man in my life that was her biological father that tried to kill me. And my husband had to come in and step in and rescue me from that. And just a lot of stuff that had happened. But I would had people along the way that came alongside and believed in me, believed in Rebecca when Rebecca didn't believe in herself and really um, and poured into my life along with lots and lots of development and, and, and self-help self and self-development on my own, you know, mm -hmm. which was really difficult. And But my journey in government began with Ann Richards and ended up with George W. Bush when he became president. And it's there's a lot of meat in between there, but in a nutshell, uh, that's kind of how I, how I came out 
from poverty into uh, having my my very successful career in government. Which is just extraordinary, right? Like to think about here you say that, that coming out of a welfare program, that was what landed you with Governor Ann Richards and you became her receptionist. And that was the first and only job you've ever really had to apply for because then things unfolded, things, you know, you were connected, you had people watching out for you, you had people mentoring you, you had good people in your life, and you were doing some of the hard work of putting your life back together and, and uh, starting to heal some of the things that needed to be healed. And I know that's, I know that's been a lifelong journey. But like that, that, that was a 10 year, 10 year journey in the beginning. I still go through, uh, I still see a counselor. I still work on myself, but it yeah. took me 10 years to work through all the issues of my past April. And it was a lifelong journey for sure. I think people need to hear that because when you hear um, your story today, or people meet you today and see what a success you are and just what, how well put together you appear, of course, and just like what a, what a gift you are in the world today that once they hear the story from where, from which, where you came from, it's like, it does, that does not, that, that, those, those peril, that, those journeys from one to the other, from one extreme to the other doesn't happen without a whole a lot of work, right? Intention and focus and dedication and that support, that mentorship, that love from others, you know, just putting one foot in front of the other and keep trying to, you know, make any mistakes that you make, not make them again, right? Like we're going to stumble and we're going to fall down, but learning from those, I know you talk a lot about lessons learned, right? And just what are the lessons you've learned along the way? Was there, I want to know a little bit about, I'm sure a lot of people like to ask you a little bit about the White House, but what was it like getting to the White House? And was there ever a moment that you've just like kind of like in the closet or in the bathroom chuckling going, how in the hell did I get here? Like if they only knew my story, right? Yeah. Well, it's funny. I know, I know you said you started reading the book. You probably haven't gotten to the DC chapter yet. There's a whole chapter not. dedicated to a section I call, oh shit, what am I going to do? <laughs> it's, uh, it's when I didn't almost didn't make my clearance uh, with Secret Service because of my past. And um, when I real my first experience in the Oval Office with President Bush, now I had worked for Governor Bush. So I came on board in 1995 when he got elected governor um, and became his deputy human resources director. A mentor of mine knew him and called me over to come join her. And then I eventually ascended to the directorship and got to know Governor Bush. And then of course he was elected. And um, April, when he when I heard that he had asked about me, um, he was running for office at the time. If you remember the crazy recount was underway and he mm-hmm. had he delayed in, in his presidency uh, inauguration because of the recount. Uh, but I heard um, about 30 days before I was offered the job, you know, Gov- or Pre- President-elect uh, Governor Bush has asked me about you and if you would join the DC team, I, w- I almost fell back. I was like, wait a minute, little know me, like he actually knows who I am. So just that shame and that imposter syndrome and the stuff that comes on us when we don't think we're worthy of it. But uh, my first experience in the Oval Office with President Bush, and I tell the full story in the book, I was overwhelmed. I am, I have a GED. I am not a college graduate. Um, I have a lot of experience, obviously a lot of development and training, but I, I don't have a traditional college degree. Um, and I, I literally walked into the Oval with my colleagues and President Bush and Dick Cheney were sitting there and 
you know, and, and I, I literally felt like my entire body was going to shut down. Have you ever been in a position where you're so overwhelmed with fear that you start hyperventilating in your heart and you start sweating and, and you feel like you pass out? Well, I was sitting in the old office with my colleagues, five other people, and, and they're going around the room and I was sweating bullets, April. And I was thinking, oh my God, I don't belong here. I'm not qualified. I'm the only one in this room without a degree. Um, and so as, as we're going around the room and I tell the full story in the book, my boss stops at, at, at me when, when he, cause I hadn't met Dick Cheney. I knew, I knew president Bush, but hadn't met Dick Cheney. And he said, um, Mr. Vice president, Rebecca Contreras is here. She used to be the HR director for governor Bush in Texas. And Bush immediately chimes in and she's the best damn HR director in Texas. And I went, oh, yes, president has confidence in me. And it just, it just, it's like God knew at that time when I was overwhelmed mm -hmm. in my mind and heart that what I needed to hear. And I walked out of that meeting with my held, head held high. Um, and uh, it was really amazing. And President Bush actually recently wrote me a personal note. He, he, somebody gave him my book. I don't have access to him. I don't. I haven't seen him in years. But somebody gave him my book, and he mm -hmm. wrote me a note and read it. And he personal note, April. The things that he said in that note about fell over. I mean, just how proud he was, and how he did. He realized that I had issues, but he didn't know the trauma I had gone through, and how mm -hmm. proud he was to have served with me. And I'm thinking, I'm proud to have served with you. Like <laughs> you're proud to serve with me, but it's just the kind of leader he is. But just the favor um, and just the tremendous, tremendous impact that that journey in the White House and with President Bush, the 12 years I spent with Governor and President Bush really changed my life, April. Mm -hmm. I met yeah. so many amazing people. And I talk about the power of the network. So many amazing people that believe in me, that helped me, that knew I wasn't perfect and had issues, but they were willing willing to get behind me because I worked hard and I, I gained trust and I got things done and, you know, results matter. And so, you know, it's that, that sort of embracing of that power that really changes people's lives. And so I had the honor of serving under governor and then president Bush for that period. And it just changed my life. Oh, I can only imagine. And I, I love that story. And, you know, there's a, a little small, small, small connection. But uh, when I was starting out my career as a journalist, I was in Corpus Christi for one of my first television jobs. And I was working for a CBS affiliate in Corpus Christi. And uh, Governor Bush came to um, uh, one of the schools down there. I can't remember which school it was. Uh, I think it was Texas A&M, whatever it is down there. And so I got sent over to go interview, you know, Governor Bush. And this was really, I mean, like he, like there was no big press pool. Like it was like an after hours thing and he was kind of popping in late. And it was like an, it was like a very like last minute kind of thing. And so there wasn't like this big organized event, like typical, you know, media outlet kind of thing. And so I went over and I'm sitting in this ballroom of this, uh, of this school and we're waiting on him to come in. And I was expecting, you know, for him to come in with this big entourage and all of his, <laughs> all of his posse and all of that. And you're, you're, you're laughing because you know, good. that wasn't mm -hmm. him and no. the door opens and it it's just. George W. Bush, you know, it's just Governor Bush and he walks in and, and I mean, I can recall that scene right now as if it was yesterday and he was so kind and gentle and polite. He cracked a joke as 
as George W does, you know, he cracked a joke and made me immediately feel comfortable. And I don't even think, of course, at the time, I'm just this green right out of college girl that didn't really even wasn't able to absorb the implication and the impact of getting to interview a governor of his stature. I just, you know, I had interviewed governors and I'm like, okay, here's another governor I'm interviewing. Little did I know I was interviewing the future president of the United States, which was really pretty cool. But I have, uh, I have recounted that story often to his leadership style. Of course, I, I know nothing of him other than what I've read and what I've witnessed, you know, as a citizen yeah, of this country, but he is the real deal. And I got a sense of that, that day that I got to interview him and it was just him, myself and our camera guy in that big giant room. It was just a huge ballroom and like him and I sitting on a chair you know, getting to, getting to talk about whatever the visit was about. I could tell you nothing about what the interview was about. Cause it was whatever he was there talking mm-hmm. about, which made no impact on me whatsoever. It was really just meeting him and getting to see, um, how he moved about the room and how he treated us. And, you know, it, it was, it was really remarkable. So I would imagine you were probably on his staff around that time. And what an, what a neat connection. I two weeks of him becoming governor. And and I I tell a lot of stories in the book of my time with him in the Oval and my time with him in the family. And I will tell you, he is a a phenomenal leader. And, um, you know, he's the real deal. Laura's the real deal. The Bush family is just a tremendous family. And I'm forever in debt to them for the opportunities they gave me. And uh, there's a lot of really neat stories in there, including my 911 story. I was in the Mm -hmm. White House when 911 hit. And I recount that very very intimately about that experience and watching him lead with resolve April mm-hmm. talk about a man who would not budge he did not care about public opinion he was going to do the right thing because he thought that's the right thing and I remember I'll tell you another quick story we were leaving he was leaving the White House I had already left the White House come back to Texas and there's a great story in there about how he joked with me that if he couldn't go back in a second term I couldn't but I left at the end of the second term and then he appointed me to the board of West Point for the second term which I served as a board member but I was invited back um, with my husband to come and and, and um, say goodbye when the last week of his administration before the Obama team came in and and my husband and I my husband also served for President Bush in the administration um, Bush gave him a job later um, but we walked up to him and we were so sad because if you remember his ratings were in the tank and yeah and uh, I said, I said to him, you know, Mr. President, we are so honored to have served with you. And I started to apologize to him for um, just all the scrutiny that he's been under. And he stopped me. He's like, wait a minute. Uh-uh. Hold your head up high. We did the right thing. Like, I leave this White House with my head held high. And we did what we came to do for the American people. And I'm like, he's right, you know, Mm -hmm. but you know, it was just, I love him so much. I was sad for him that he was, you know, his ratings were in the tank, but you know, April, every president in their second term, something happens ratings in the tank. (laughs) The American people are so, so finicky, but um, yeah, he, he didn't care about what, what the public thought or what the media thought he was there to do the right thing. And that's a leadership style that I have embraced in my own journey as an entrepreneur today. Well, let's talk about your entrepreneur journey. So once you left the White House, I mean, how did, how did it come to be that you decided to start your own consulting business? And what did that look like? What was that decision like? Because obviously, I would imagine coming out of the White House and getting to serve under the people that you've served with and for, um, 
you probably could have written your ticket to get any job, you know, for the most part that you wanted. So what was that decision like to go out on your own? Because that's a big one for a lot of people to, to, to think about. We have a lot of women who listen to the show thinking about leaving their corporate careers. You know, they're in that midlife stage where sat, they're not satisfied with what they're doing. And that dream of becoming an entrepreneur is, is ignited in them. Some of them are like me and became an entrepreneur very early on in my, in my career. What was it for you? What would, how did you decide to go out on your own and start and be, to become an entrepreneur and start your own business? Yeah. So, so April women are the fastest growing businesses uh -huh. in America right now. And number one in Texas um, and women entrepreneurs contribute over 13 million to the fabric of our nation. Um, I was actually, when I left the White House, I was recruited by another small business to help start their federal practice, consulting practice, to cut my teeth in consulting. And I joined as an executive vice president. And April, I was with them for six years and I was making the owner a lot of money. 90% of the revenue was my, my, my network and my new contracts. And I remember in year six, I was sitting with one of my mentors um, many mentors in my life that have spoken into my life. And I had never, I didn't know anything about starting a business, um, had never been a part of a business. And so um, I remember him telling me, you know, what you're doing for him, you could be doing for yourself and you're making him a lot of money. And I was making at that time uh, quite a bit of money, more than I had ever made in my career. I was actually making more money than the CEO because I structured my comp so I could get bonuses from my contracts. So I had a base plus comp plus bonuses. And anyway, um, I just, I thought, well, well, yes, I can. I can start my own consulting practice. And so I started the journey of investigating that and researching and talking to my mentors and looking to see what it's going to take to start a business. And April, eight months from the date of that aha moment with that mentor, I opened up the doors to Avant-Garde. And I went from, I will just tell you, your listeners, at that time, this was 2011, I was making over 200000 a year. That was in 2011. I literally walked away from a big salary, 401k match, health insurance to zero. And it was the scariest thing ever. Yep. But um, I had my partner who I teamed with who owns 49% of the firm. I said to him, you know, um, he had money and I didn't. I was, you know, <laughs> poor. Um, and, I mean, you know, I was a working class mom and a working class, but not not an entrepreneur. You didn't have well. all this cash in the bank to start this business. Yeah, with. No, I, I had, get it. I had yeah, no money. my husband, my husband had just left his full time job to start a nonprofit. So he had gone from making money to zero. And so he was doing the community nonprofit work. And I'm like, we both can't, you know, leave traditional workplace. But we did. We did. And it took me six months to win my first contract. Um, it, but within that first year, we grew, uh, we started to see double digit growths. The third year, we grew 700% today. We're again, a very substantial company. And, but, you know, it, it was one of those leap of faith, April, that, you know, believing in myself, but having others also say, you know, you can do that. Like you, you have the goods, you have the skill sets to be an entrepreneur. What does entrepreneurship take? Drive, passion, resilience, grit perseverance, organization, network. So I possessed all those skills. And my mentor, when I said to him, uh, Clay Johnson, who was my top mentor in the White House, he's President Bush's best friend. He's in the book as well. I said, you know, Clay, I've never started a business. He said, Rebecca, all the skill sets that made you successful with Bush, 
apply all of those to your business. Mm -hmm. And he had been an entrepreneur and had made um, very successful um, uh, selling and buying companies. And he's like, you can do this. And so having that encouragement and also having the faith to believe I could do it and then mapping out the plan to get it done. But, but more importantly, taking that leap and just getting out there and just doing it. Because you can plan to the cows come home. And if you let fear or doubt or insecurity, you will never do it. And so I just literally went from ze from that much money to zero. <laughs> and it took me about a year to get back to my, my base salary. Uh, but now, of course, it's a so much better investment in that, you know, I'll, I can never go back to working for anybody else and being an entrepreneur has afforded, afforded me so many opportunities to also have the social impact that I'd like to have. And but it's a scary journey, but I would encourage the women listening, um, you know, get around the right women, the right network, get the right plan together, uh, but also ensure that you you absolutely believe in yourself to do it and equip yourself for it because anything is possible, April. Women have such grit. Um, I believe God has gifted us with an amazing talent to get things done and to make things happen. And we are the fastest growing demographic in America. Awesome. Um, you know, I want to speak a little bit more about that, about women being the fastest growing set of entrepreneurs out there and thinking about your own story. And you listed all these like qualities and skill sets that you had that you possessed. You know, you had the network, you had the know-how, you had the grit, the determination, the resiliency. Um, you didn't have necessarily, you didn't, like you said, you didn't even have like this huge education behind you. You didn't have a pedigree of any of kind behind you, right? None of that, no money but you had all these other things that were these skills that you possessed and that you could transfer to go out on your own and become successful. And I think more women need to hear that because we're waiting for, I, I hear and talk to so many women who are waiting to get that certification to become the coach or whatever, or they're waiting to go back to school to get their master's degree. They're waiting for you know, someone to give them a stamp of approval. They're waiting for this. They're waiting for that. Um, well, I would like to hear what you would say to those women who are waiting to take action on their dreams and goals, because to be a female entrepreneur in today's day and age, I mean, you know, you and I can sit here and riff on this because it is, I feel like we had a, our Dr. Leslie Salisbury, who spoke at the conference over yes, the weekend, talked about whole woman, whole leadership, yeah. valuing our worth, bringing our whole selves to the table, which I thought was brilliant. Um, what do you have to say about that to women so that we can get more women to keep growing that population of entrepreneurs? Yeah. So, um, so April, the other stat I will give you that even though we're the fastest growing and we have over 13 million women-owned businesses, how many would you guess actually have more than one person on the payroll and are over a million in revenue? Oh, that number is very, very small. I don't know the stat, but I'd love to know the stat. 3%. 3%. Yeah. I think so, it's um, uh, even just getting women to making $100,000 a year is, right. is huge, right. you know, but we right. want to bust past that glass ceiling too. That was my big thing. And I don't know if you remember what I said at the symposium, but sharing how I had never made more money than my husband before. And right. I had a significant career. I mean, I, hello, it was not chump change over here, but I had mm -hmm. never... I had never made more money than him. And I remember yeah. sitting back and going, you know what? I'm going to do it just because I just wanted to prove to myself that I could, I, that I was I smart enough and that. all of that. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, and here we are, you know, you can, but you have to like 
put your eyes on a target. But yeah, the fact that just getting women to pa- to go past what they think is possible is so key, yeah. right? Well, it's important to it's important to have the vision and it's important to have the plan and the goals and have the belief system that'll help you get there, get the network around you that believes in you and also provides that infrastructure of support. But it's also really important to make sure the timing is right. I always tell people, really, the business is going to be successful for three reasons. Number one, you're bringing something that nobody else brings. And if there is, everybody does HR services. So what makes Avantgarde different? It's how we deliver the services. So we have what you call our DNA is we're going to do it with you, not to you. And we come Mm -hmm. alongside you as a partner not as the smartest consultant in the room, but somebody who listens and engages. Mm -hmm. Um, And number two, we love our people. So our people stay with us and um, our team, our team knows that AG loves them. And I I was in a Texas CEO magazine in June um, on a five page feature where I exclusively talked about the difference in the mark of the CEO is loving your people. And I highly encourage your readers to read that, that piece. It was really powerful because so many CEOs get caught up in the bottom line and then driving results. And then they forget their people or leave a bunch of dead bodies behind. And it's really hard to recover from that. So know the niche and bring something to the table that nobody else brings or bring a unique spin to what you do bring if, they, if there's other services. And number two, you got to have the network. Um, I have built 80% of my revenue has been through my network through people that know Rebecca and trust Rebecca and know that Rebecca gets things done. Therefore, once you get in the door and you're a trusted advisor, mm-hmm. I, I, I always tell our team, we want to move from being a contractor to a trusted advisor. Mm-hmm. Then the business keeps coming. And so we've grown our business through that reciprocal business as people know us, but it's important to have a door. And I listen, I knocked on a hundred doors for every one door that's open. You got to have the grit, the third element. And the grit is who cares if you get no a million times? You got to live with no. You got to live with failure. And I, John Maxwell has a great book called Failing Forward. You got to learn to fail forward in life. And those are the elements of success around that for the women listening that want to start their business. Um, it, the timing is, is, is also essential and making sure that it's the right time for you and that you're going to go the distance. You know, don't start and stop, start and stop and then go, oh my gosh, uh-huh. you know, but go the distance with it. And hard work does pay off and, um, and will, will pay off in the long run. Well, it certainly has for you. And you're such a beautiful model of that. And even, you know, to me, like getting to meet you recently and just learning more about you, I'm so encouraged. And I, um, you know, just thank you for being uh, a great model for other women, for those of us that are, that are marching our way to those big goals and building, building our dreams. And, you know, I think that someone said to me, um, several years ago about the key is like around building your network and like having mentors and people in your life that can be, can be a model is not putting them on a pedestal, you know, seeing them as your equal, not that they're up here and you're down here, you know, is like understanding that you're both just human beings. And, you know, this person puts their pants or skirt on (laughs) the same way I do. Right. And I, that was such good advice to me because as you mentioned earlier, you, you know, we all have those moments where we feel that imposter syndrome and who am I to be doing this? Or I don't have that qualification yet, or I don't have the, you know, high school education, much less a college degree. You do, you have, you have your GED, but you didn't have that college degree. Like there's, we can come up with all sorts of stuff that we don't have that keeps us from seeing ourselves on that 
same level playing field with others. So, so what if they make a little bit more, more money than us? And so what that they maybe have their yeah. company built a little bit more bigger, uh, that's bigger than ours, yeah. but it doesn't, really? I think when we learn to just see people as like, Hey, you can help me here, but I could also maybe, you know, be, be of service to you here. Like I, that's why I love masterminds. You know, I love putting myself in the room of masterminds with these really great business people who are at a different mm -hmm. level than me, but also I offer something to the table also, you know? So thank you for being a model of that to other women and sharing those, those stats and being encouraging of what it takes for, for other women to step up to the plate. And I think you, you said it too. It's just, it's consistency, you know, the start and stopping doesn't serve anybody, but just showing up, showing up daily, taking one small, small step forward every day is really what it's about. Yeah. There are some days when I'm like, I don't know what to do today, right? I've no, like, I'm <laughs> just a little lost, but well, what is one thing I can do today, right? Just yeah. one thing, April, yeah. find one thing, you know, don't give yes, up. Yes. Well, and April, just, just in, 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 in wrapping this, this piece of the conversation up, I will tell you, you know, a, a successful entrepreneur doesn't happen without without an inner person being whole and healed. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I have gone through tremendous levels of wholeness and healing. And, and I mean, I, I went through a couple of months ago, a tragic family situation that literally knocked, knocked me, almost knocked me off my kilter. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm not going to overcome this. This is really, really hard, but I remembered who I am. Mm -hmm. And I remembered that God is on my side. And I also remembered that I have people around me that can help me work through the pain. And I launched out of this tragedy came a series that's available free on my website um, called Pain on Purpose. Mm. Pain on Purpose means there's a purpose behind our pain. And it's a seven-week series that I launched. And again, all the, all the materials on my website are free. But, um, you know, you have to be whole inside. You have to be healed. You can't control what people do or how they act or all the mess that goes on in the world. All you can control is you. So I, I loved uh, Dr. Leslie's talk really was powerful because she talked about being the whole woman mm -hmm. and women need to become the whole women mm -hmm. so that we can change the world. Cause we do, we're world changers, but if we're sick and we're not whole or we allow things to keep us from being um, healthy, um, we're not going to walk in our purpose. And so a lot of my message in Lost Girl, I dedicate the last couple of chapters to this topic, is so important to walk in wholeness and to um, and to be that whole woman. So I, I, I applaud you for bringing her to the conference. I think what she said was spot on. And I, I'm thrilled that she's on a mission to make women whole, because that's part of my mission as well. And sharing your story is the first step to making somebody who's not whole think, Hey, she, she hasn't always been whole. Like if she did, I could do <laughs> yeah. it. Right. So it's yeah. so important. It is turning that mess into our message, you know, and we can do that with our stories. We can do that with our stories. Well, one other thing I wanted to tap in today, and you mentioned it very early at the beginning of our conversation, but it's another piece of you that I greatly admire. And I think it's just phenomenal what you're doing was I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your, the charitable arm that you have of your business and some of the uh, some of the things that you are pouring, some of the people really, not things, some of the women you are pouring into in your service projects and in your way of giving back to your community. Tell us about that, please. Well, I am a big pay it forward person. And somebody poured into me when I was a mess and on poverty and on welfare as a single mom. And, 
you know, shame on me if I have all this success and don't turn around and give back and remember where I came from. Um, so we have through my my husband and I's nonprofit, we've done a lot of community outreach. We've served thousands of kids here in the inner city in Austin through after school program that we did for 10 years. And then COVID hit and we kind of redirected. Um, so last year during Women's History Month, and there's a great um, clip on my website called Women Empower Girls of Legacy Initiative. We launched a Girls of Legacy Initiative and we're scholarshiping 10 girls, inner city girls from Title I schools to um, to go to college. Um, and they received their first uh, sponsorship check this fall. And a couple of the girls, one of my girls is at AM and she's gonna be a biomed engineer. She's brilliant. And she's from Jamaica. She's an immigrant child and is just so smart. And she said, Miss Rebecca, I feel like you're an angel. Um, she mm -hmm. texted me pictures of her at the AM game for the first time. And I just, my heart just swelled up because she's brilliant, but she needs that extra help. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's so important for us to empower and tool our girls to be successful. I also am really big around single moms and I'm mentoring a few single moms right now and really pouring into them and helping them become entrepreneurs, helping them learn how to live, navigate life as a single mom. All, all have been, you know, divorced. And I just really believe April in giving back. I believe mm -hmm. in spending my time where there's going to be value add. Listen, Rebecca equals two things, results and value. If it doesn't produce results and it doesn't add value, don't sign me up for it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that, that philanthropic side of what I do is such a part of my DNA. It's who I am. I can't, you know, not do it. Um, and investing and giving back to single moms, girls and, and inner city kids is where our heartbeat is. Well, just the title of your book, you know, Lost Girl, obviously you were, you were once a lost girl. You obviously understand that plight of these other young women in these inner city schools or not even in school, or maybe um, a young pregnant unwed mother or single mom, whatever it may be, you understand. And the, the key to giving back is, you know, like really seeing them for who they really are. You talked a lot um, in the beginning, when you were talking about all these things that you were doing as a, as a young girl and you're 13, 14, we were really starting to like repeat a lot of generational patterns is that you were, you were so stuck in devaluing yourself. You use that word a lot in your book that you were just, you were constantly devaluing yourself because others you thought were devaluing you. And so you took that on as truth when of course it's not truth. And you've been able to reverse that and now have a lot of value that you bring to the table. And you obviously value that in yourself now. Um, when you, I'm curious, when you decided to write this book, what was that like? Because this is a big story. This is a big, big, big story. And I know so many women who, who think about writing their book, think about writing their story and putting it out publicly this way. Um, what, what, what was that process like for you to decide to actually share to like where one day, you know, President George Bush reads it and sends you a note because he had he probably didn't even know all of this about you at the time that you were serving at the White House. What was that decision like to sit down and put yeah. it together? So Lost Girl was a 10-year vision in the making. And I had um, my publisher who published out of Boss Media in Dallas. She's a friend of mine. And she kept saying, when I left the White House, she was like, RC, you have to write your book. You have to write your book. I didn't feel like the timing was right. And you know, April, I, I didn't really want to write my book because I was ashamed of my past and I didn't want to put my mess out there. And um, I remember one of my other women mentors telling me, you know, lead with your mess, Rebecca. 
before anybody else, you know, leads with it. Cause you're a public figure now and you're out there and, you know, it, and, and you know what, it's okay to put your mess out there because guess what? Mm -hmm. You didn't stay in the mess. You found a way out of it and own your, own your issues and your problems and, and mistakes and, and share with, with the world how you overcame. And so after a lot of coaching, a lot of mentoring and also prayer, I decided um, to start the journey for Lost Girl in two, 2021. Um, early 2021. And my book project was a eight month project, April. It was very aggressive. Um, I worked with a fabulous editor um, and ghostwriter that helped me. I'm not a writer. I told my story and she just put, uh -huh. put magic behind it. I did feel it was important for it to be in my voice. And um, uh -huh. she really incorporated a lot of the elements of what I shared with her. And it just came out beautifully, uh, but it was a very painful journey. I can tell you, I just did the audio book, which is available now um, on audio. And I was in the studio 14 hours and I had to break it up over four or five sessions. I cried again in the studio. I mean, I, when I was writing it, I cried and I felt like I was going through trauma all over again. And, you know, part of me was like, why am I crying? This is like, I've been through this already. I've dealt with this counseling, but I just, I just really reflected on the fact that I'm crying, not because I'm sad. I'm crying because I'm so overwhelmed with the mm -hmm. fact that I did it. Like, I don't believe it. Like, it's such a God story. And I just, I began to just reflect on the goodness and the graciousness and the amazing grace on my life and also the hard work that I had to do. And so, you know, I would encourage your readers as they write their journey. Um, it's so important for you to look at it through a lens of not how painful it's going to be for you to write it, but what, what is the reader going to get out of it? You know, what's the person on the other end going to, when they read about this, how is it going to help them? My, my book was a hundred percent through the lens of helping people yeah, per, instilling hope and, and possibilities and giving people dreams. And, and there's a lot of books out there like that. I believe mine is different and unique. Um, and who cares? I didn't write it to be a number one New York bestseller. I wrote it to tell my story and share it with the women that I interface with. And uh, if it ends up being a great seller, then great. But that's not why I wrote it. I wrote it because I wanted to tell my story and give people hope. So, but it was it was a ten year journey for me um, until finally uh, my friend and publisher said, "Okay, this is it. You're gonna write this darn book." <laughs> <laughs> and I buckled down and I did the hard work in the middle of the practice growth and just, uh, you know, dedicated the time to write it. So how has telling this story and, and sharing it publicly and writing the book, what specifically has it done for you personally, though? in terms of the healing journey and dealing with oh, that shame. I have had, I, I, I absolutely, I've read it, I've reread it five or six times. Um, I, every time I read it, I find new levels of mm -hmm. healing and new levels of hope. Um, it, it's a reminder, April, I was speaking to a group of women the other day who um, I was sharing the book with, and I said to them, you know, when you feel in the tank and when the shit hits the fan in your life, I want you to pick up chapter four of Lost Girl, and I want you to reread it. Um, I want you to pick up chapter five. And so, you know, I do that for myself. I remember the goodness of the great things that have happened. And, um, and if I can just hang on to that hope that I have overcome in the past, I'm going to overcome this situation. And so I, I still use it as a tool for my own life. And, um, you know, I can't believe it was my life and I can't believe I have the life I have now. I feel very blessed, but it has definitely been a tool for healing uh, for me and so many people that have uh, taken a part in reading it.
Yeah. Well, I cannot wait to finish it. I promise you, I am pouring through it fast because it is a very good read. It's a uh, very well written and the story itself just hooks you from page one. Uh, that's the sign of a really good book when you're hooked on page one. And I certainly was hooked on page one and you know, it reads like a movie script. And I don't know if you've ever talked to anyone about turning it into a movie, but it's one of those books, one of those stories that you can actually really envision as a movie. And thank you so much for being brave to share your story. Um, you know, that's truly the sign of harnessing the power of a story is by when you really go and share it and you shine that light, right? You shine that light for others. So thank you for being the guest today and sharing about Lost Girl and sharing just your journey with us, being a light to so many other women out there and women entrepreneurs and leaders and speakers. And I just can't wait to keep interacting with you and staying connected and seeing what happens and what unfolds for both of us. Well, I'd love, thank you for having me, Rachel, April. And I will tell you, coming from you as a journalist, that means a lot to me. Um, I was going to ask your professional opinion about how it's written. So thank you for that. I, I covet that. Um, and uh, I am running for my one year anniversary. We have a 20% off on my website um, code that we're offering just in celebration of the one year for the book. And um, I would love to hear from your listeners and connect with them uh, through our social media pages as well. And I do hope that it encourages uh, people. And, um, you know, at minimum, um, I, I, my, my motto and my metric is one, if it changes that one person, uh -huh. So April, I was that one person at 17 lost in addiction with no hope for a future in poverty. If somebody had told me, Rebecca, one day you're going to be sitting in the Oval Office advising, advising the leader of the free world, I wouldn't have believed it. Mm. One person made a difference in my life. So that's my metric is to go after the one. Amazing. I feel confident that has already occurred. I know that it has, and I think you're reaching a whole lot more than one and I'm thankful that we could share you with our audience today. So thank you. We will link up all of your, definitely the link to get the book, um, your website, your social media channels. We want to share you fully with our audience. And so we absolutely will uh, be linking up everything in the show notes. If you're listening to this on a podcast player, click over to the show notes, to the description of this episode so that you can get all of those links and go and connect with Rebecca today. Thank you, Rebecca Contreras. Thank you for writing this amazing book called Lost Girl. Thank you for sharing your story today on the Inside Story. And to all of you listening, thank you for being here and tuning in today. Be sure to give this a review if you have not yet, this podcast a review, and also connect with me on social media and tell me what your biggest takeaway was. I always love hearing from you after you listen to these episodes. So until next week, when we're back with another episode of the Inside Story podcast, I'm going to leave you with a bit of an encouragement to go find a way to share your story today. There is a story hiding inside of you too, and you need to go share it with other people. Talk to you soon. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to give it a review and share this broadcast out with your friends and family. Now, did listening to this episode make you think more about your own story? Are you wondering which parts of your own story are relevant to share with others? This is the question I get asked more than any other. How do I share my story? Which parts of my story are worth sharing with other people? How can I make my story relatable so that others can benefit from it? 
I've taken my simple process that I've used for years as a journalist and broken it down into a three-part storytelling formula that will help you discover the key components of your own story and how to share it. It's a free resource I've created to help you become a Light Beamer by sharing your story. Simply go to www.lightbeamers.com and click on the big yellow button on the homepage to download your story formula. I'd love to hear your story too. So be sure to join my free community on Facebook, the Light Beamers community, and share your story with me. I can't wait to learn more about you and the story that's inside of you. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get notified when our next broadcast is live. You will want to stay tuned to the stories we are lining up for you next. I promise they are so good. As always, Light Beamers, I'm over here cheering for you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.